0: Welcome to another episode of Are You Really Living podcast. Today's guest is attorney Bernadine Philippe. She is the founder of the Family Inheritance Law Firm and has practiced law for over 10 years. She received her Juris Doctorate at NSU Shepherd Broad College of Law. She's held various roles as a Florida assistant state attorney, senior litigation attorney, personal family lawyer, and estate planning. Attorney Philippe currently serves as CEO of the Family Inheritance Law Firm, co-founder of Family Office Ventures, and host of Family Wealth and Legacy Show on YouTube. Let's welcome our host, Mr. Enrio Longchamp, and our guest attorney, Bernadine Philippe.
1: Hello, listeners. I would like to welcome you all to another episode of Are You Really Living? Today, I have a wonderful guest with me, attorney Bernadine Philippe. How are you, Ms. Bernadine?
2: I am fine. Thank you so much for having me on here, Anwar. I am excited to um to get this started, but I am doing um well today.
1: Awesome. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. You are an attorney. You specialize into probate. Is that correct?
2: Yes, probate, um, estate planning, um, trust administration.
1: Perfect. What is estate planning?
2: So I like to tell people with estate planning. So. Is basically getting your affairs in order in the event that, you know, you become incapacitated or um, before you pass away. So that's just what estate planning in a nutshell. So everything that you own, all the assets that you own, just getting those affairs in order in the event, you know, you become incapacitated. Or you passed away
1: what are the different types of estate planning documents
2: when you have estate planning documents I, I always say like the estate planning is like the umbrella and underneath it that's when you have your different tools to establish your 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 main goal into transferring wealth and so you have your wills which is a tool you have your trust which is um, another tool and you know sometimes you have revocable irrevocable trust and there's other types of trust um, as well too but you know the main ones are like they can be revocable or irrevocable and then you add you have your healthcare care surrogate um, your living will and your power of attorney so those are like the main documents you need to have like a successful estate plan
1: and in terms of creating something like that how long does it usually take for you yourself as an attorney to sit with a client to put all of this together
2: um it usually takes i would say four to six weeks um you know initially meeting with the client um going over their assets um and then drafting their documents making sure finalized that all names are spelled correctly And everything that they're intended is correctly and then drafting the final document. So it all depends on the client as well, too, because I know when I meet with my clients, we do an initial meeting and I discuss everything. I typically do an inventory of all of their assets because I think it's very important to do an inventory of your assets. So just in case if something happens to you, your family is not fishing to see, okay what assets did you have? So we do I do a breakdown of that once we talk about that, I ask them about their family dynamic. Um, what is it? What's their goal? What's their intention of doing this estate plan? Um, and so once we have that, you know, I do a little design sheet for them with everything that they've talked about and what they've wanted. Once that's finalized, you know, I have them look over it to make sure everything is good. Um, and sometimes that takes a long time because you'll send it to the client and take a long time for them to respond back. So that's what takes a long time, but once they, you know, return it back, um, and they approve what we spoke about. Drafting it will take about a week or two, and then once it's drafted, then we go into the signing um, of the documents. When I say signing of the documents, meaning that we execute the signing of the trust, you know, the healthcare server, all the state planning documents. I have my notary. Well, I'm a notary. I have them have their two witnesses. And um, we sit, I explain to them, you know, everything about the estate plan, the documents, and then they do the signing. So it, take, it typically takes like four to six weeks, but it all depends on the client itself. If you have like clients who get you the documents back quickly, then it, it could take shorter.
1: Now, what, mm-hmm. what happens if I don't have an estate plan or a will and I die, especially in Florida, since we are in Florida?
2: Oh, yeah. So- I mean, that's called the do nothing plan pretty much. So if you're still alive and you, you know, decide not to do an estate plan before you pass away, that's called the do nothing plan. And what happens in Florida is once you pass away um, and you don't have an estate plan, no wills, no trust, that means you die in test state. Dying in test state meaning that it's left up to um, the courts to dictate how your assets is distributed. Um, So I know Florida laws, it goes, um, you know, if you pass away, if your parents are, if you're not married, if your parents are still alive, then it goes to your parents. If your parents is deceased, then it goes to, um, and that's if you don't have any children. If you're not married, no children, it goes to your parents. If your parents is deceased, then it goes to your siblings and it trickles down. But if you're married, then we know it goes to your spouse. If you have kids and that kid is not as part of that marriage, then a percentage go to it. So it's pretty much a statute that dictates how the, um, the assets will be distributed, but you're essentially leaving it up to the court to determine that. And then that's like, that's going through the whole probate as well too. Um, Because then you, your family members is going to have to file a petition um, with the court um, to determine all the assets and how the assets need to be distributed. And that's lengthy in itself and a lot of paperwork. Um, So you're essentially leaving like a lot of headache for for your family to gather all of your assets and filing the petition and essentially having the court to decide what happens to those assets.
1: That was going to be my follow up question. Somebody dies with no estate planning, no will. How long? Um, through, will it take to, to the court system before the family members can get access to those assets?
2: Probably will take, I would say more than six months. And it all depends on, you know, what assets you have and who's filing the petition on your behalf too, because it's going to take a while because what you have to do is you have to gather up all of that person's assets. So if the person had a bank account for a one K retirement stocks, like you have to go on a hunt to look for that, you know, to file that within the petition. So you don't know how long that's going to take. So that's number one. Um, you have different family members and if you know anyone can that's related to you have some type of interest can file a petition to become the personal representative so if you have like two siblings that's trying to do that then now you have a whole court process because now the judge is going to have to determine who they want to be the personal representative so you might have somebody who wants to contest something you know um, you have to find out um, how many family members this deceased person have. So, you know, if it's a parent, like, did they have outside children? Is there any other children that we didn't know? You have to include all that information. So it's a lot of paperwork that that goes into it. Um, you have to let the creditors know, meaning that you have to file a notice to the creditors saying that this person is deceased and um, and has to be published. And it allows um, the creditors um, three months to um, if they want to file their interest to get part of, you know, this deceased person's assets allows them time too. So it all depends. If you have someone who barely had any assets, maybe it's quicker. But if it's someone who did have like a lot of assets, um, you know, it it, it goes into taking time of trying to find those assets to let the judge know what it is and then trying to figure out who's the relatives and who gets what. That's where it (laughs) happens.
1: So we're looking at at least six, seven, close to a year. Yeah. Seven months and close to a year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, what are the most common misconceptions surrounding estate planning and um, what should individuals know uh, to make informed decisions when it comes to estate planning?
2: So the common misconception is um, I don't have anything to pass down. That's number one. I'm not rich. When when you when you say a revocable living trust they're thinking like, oh my gosh, like a trust, like, you know, it's so foreign to them because they, they, people socialize trust with, um, wealthy, wealthy individuals. So automatically it's like, I don't have anything to live, so I don't need to get it done. Or, um, I'm too young. I don't need to get it done. That's, that's a common misconception because number one, if you own a home, you know, that's an asset that you can pass down. That's something you know, you, you have bank accounts and there's money in the bank accounts. You have retirements. That's an asset that can be passed down. You have life insurance you pass away and, and you know, you have money that goes down to someone. That's something that can, that's asset that can be passed away, especially if you have minor children. So a lot of misconception is that like, I don't have anything to pass, pass down. And when I do meet with my clients, you know, they'll initially say that. And that's why I love doing the inventory of their assets, because we go through everything. And I'm like, you said you don't have anything. Look at all of this, you know? Um, So, you know, that's the misconception. And I think it's just the education-wise of it. Um, a lot of time people say that I'm too young and, um, and I like to say, no, you're never too young because although when you talk about estate planning, we are associated with death. However, I look at it as doing an inventory of the assets that you have, you know, in the the inventory of the things that you have. And it's your one inventorying those things and deciding what happens to, to you, not only if you pass away, but in the event you become incapacitated too, because, you know, at this day and age, you can be in a car wreck and become incapacitated. You know, who's gonna make the healthcare decision on your behalf? You have bills to pay. You know, who has access to your bank account to go in your bank account to make to to make bill payments while you're laid in a bed or incapacitated, you can't think for yourself. Um, so you have to think of that as well too, because if you don't get it done, then it leaves your family members going to the courts to get guardianship over you and your property to 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 babysit it. Uh, Until you get well, you know, and that's like another expense that comes up. So, those are the real misconception is I don't have anything to leave behind, and um, I'm too young to even get it done.
1: Okay. What about if somebody's listening right now and they're single, not married, and they say, "Well, why do I need an estate planning because I'm not, I'm single, I don't have a spouse?" What would you say to someone like that?
2: Yeah. So for someone who's um, single, there's there's two ways. If you're single, you don't have a spouse, um no kids and you have like I said you have some assets to leave behind and you have nieces, you have nephews, you have, you know, godchildren, you can pass those things down to them if you don't have, you know, any children um you know, to leave it behind to. So that's one way you can start leaving your assets, creating a trust for them, for like the minor children. So they know like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my godmother or my auntie, um, you know, left some money for me um, upon her passing. Like I could use that money to go to college. So, you know, if you're thinking of leaving something for your family, that's one way. Some people would say, okay, well, I don't want to leave them anything. And if you don't, you know, that's just more of your not having it done. Your family member is still going to have to go to the courts, you know, to file that petition and um, try to inventory your assets to see where it goes. And once they do that, if you have like a, you know, a sibling that you really didn't want to give money to, well, that sibling is going to get that money because you, you, you failed to have any estate planning done. So it's more of even though you're single, you don't have any, you know, you're not married, you don't have any children, but it's still your assets. And if you're alive, you get to decide what you want to do with it. And if you're saying that I don't care, then, you know, then that's something else. And you want them to go to the courts, you know, then that's something else. I, I would love to speak with that person to understand the reason. Yeah. However, but you, if you're still, you know, alive and it's your asset that you work for, you have a home, you have bank accounts, you have insurance, you have all of those things. Like, why not decide how you want to leave a legacy for your family? You know, leaving a legacy to your nieces and nephews is still leaving a legacy for your family, even though they're not your your children because you're still passing down that generational wealth. So I also think it's, is very important. That's number one. And number two, for the incapacity reason, reason as well too, because if you're single, no married, no children, and you're laid in the bed, you know, you're incapacitated, what's going to happen to all your stuff? You know, like who's going to manage all of your things while you're in the hospital? You want to at least get to choose that person that you trust to manage it because you may have someone that you don't trust and they're the one that's following that guardianship on your behalf. Um, but if you had to choose you would have never chosen that person, but that person, the the judge is going to look on paper, and say, okay, well, they seem like they're qualified. You can manage, you know, make that healthcare decision for this person, or do the power of attorney um, for them and manage, you know, your affairs. And in all actuality, they're not even doing a good job. But you know, you fail to do it, so you're left with the court choosing it for you. That's why yeah. I think it's so important, either way,
1: to it have is. it done. It is important. I'm I'm pretty sure you're aware of. Uh, I believe it's called the Florida Treasure. Uh, that's where, for example, if you were at a comp- working for a company, you had a 401k. You ended up leaving that company, and then they can't get a hold of you to give you that money. I believe they put it within the with the state. Um oh, might- the
2: unclaimed property.
1: Unclaimed property. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, what happens if somebody w- was working for a company? They ended up, you know, passing away. They had a very large amount of 401k. And that company puts it there with the unclaimed um, property with the state. Would it stay there forever? Or at some point, will the state just use that money?
2: Well, no, it's going to stay there until a family member goes in and tries to claim that property. Right. So um, a lot of time um, when when people pass away, they'll go. Because there's a website that you can go on to see if any family members have um any unclaimed property even while you're alive too if you didn't know you had money out there it's it's in there as well too so what ends up happening the reason
1: i'm so sorry to interrupt the reason i know about this website is because i was working for a company they had 401k i wasn't even aware of it and i left the company and then i find out through that website that i had money so that's how i found out about this website that that website existed in the first place
2: Yeah. So, that, yeah, so with you finding out that you have money, you can easily go in because it's you, but if it's someone that is deceased, there goes the oh, okay, like there goes the filing the petition <laughs> with the court because they're not just gonna say, oh this is this was my brother's um." account or this was my father's account they're not just going to say okay well just um show us the death certificate and it will give you the money nope it doesn't go that way what happens is you're going to have to file the petition to let the the court know that hey this person has unclaimed property money in this unclaimed property and they they tell the amount and the judge is going to have to do a whole probate session and once the judge finally realized okay who's this person the deceased family members um who's entitled who has interest then that's when the judge will Um, you know issue an order for them to release that money to the personal representative you know to distribute it out to any of the people that have interest in it so it's more of going through probate as well too
1: for it yeah that's true What's the difference between trust and a will? Okay.
2: Yes. So a lot of times people use this like together. Um, you know, when you talk about estate planning, people be like, trust, trust, trust. Okay. So when you, they're, they're both, both tools are documents where you dictate what you want to happen to your assets. Upon your passing. Okay, both tools does that. But however, with the will, you get to write down everything that you want, and how you want it to be distributed, you write down your, per- your personal representative, you write down your beneficiary, and it doesn't go into effect until after you pass away. So everything still remains in your name. You know, with the will, it's going to have to go through probate. You don't escape probate with the will because your, your your loved ones is going to have to file a petition with the court and they're going to have to submit the will so the judge can look over the will, make sure it was executed correctly. Um, And then once it's executed correctly, he's going to distribute it the way the deceased person wanted that, that um, will to be distributed, those assets to be distributed. So that's with the will. When you have a trust, same thing, you get to dictate, you know, how you want your assets to be distributed. However, with a trust, you're transferring things that's within your that's in your name into the name of the tr- into the trust. So the trust will own your assets. Let's just say you have a home. Instead of the home being named in your name, the deed, the trust is going to own the home. Your bank accounts, the pay on death will be the trust. Your life insurances, instead of it being someone else, your trust owns it. So upon your passing your trust owns those accounts. And then the person you choose as your trustee is going to be the person to administer your trust in the way that you want it to um, th- distribute your assets okay. with a trust. You get to dictate as far as like when you have minor children, how you want those assets to be distributed. So, you know, if you have minor children, what happened is the, um, the trustee will go ahead and gather up all of your assets and um, open up a trust account with one of the banks, making sure like the income, if you're selling the home, the income goes into that trust account. And you can tell your trustee or it's in the trust, whereas if you have minor children, hey, at the age of 18, um, then my child can get a certain amount of money. Then at the age of 21, another amount. So you get to dictate how you want um, those assets to be distributed. So that's a really good thing about having a trust, um, because you can let it go on forever. And, um, just have the trustee to manage it. So that's the difference. Like with the will, you have to go through probate with the trust. You don't go through probate because you're avoiding probate and with, um, and you have the trustee that's doing the administration for you.
1: And can you have both or yes, it, you have both. Okay. The law, yes, the, so, the question I was going to say, can you have both or does the law require for you to only have one?
2: Yeah. So when you do have a trust, I know when I do my plans, um, I also um, incorporate a poor over will within it. And so, What that poor overworld does is if you didn't get to transfer your assets within a trust because you have to fund your trust. If you're gonna open up, if you're going to um, have a trust and you don't fund it, there's no purpose of having the trust if you don't fund it, you know? But let's just say you forgot to, you know, fund the trust and you didn't put it, you didn't retitle any of your assets into the name of the trust. Then that's where the extra protection of that pour over will comes into place where um, we would have to go through the courts again, petition and to let the judge know like, hey, you know, this person, Um, passed away. This is the will, you know, they did create a trust, but they didn't have uh, the time, the chance to retitle their assets. But this port over will is telling you that any assets that's being probated, we want it to go into the trust. So it's going to go directly into the trust. So it's that extra protection of having it. And so if you have a trust plan, definitely always make sure you have that port over with that extra protection. But if you have a will, um, a, something called there's something called a testamentary trust as well too. Um, um, a lot of times, you know, attorneys don't like to use that because you know it's 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 more money, you know, because you have probate that you're going through. Then you have to create a trust. It's like why didn't you just create the trust initially to avoid all of that? However, if you do have a will, um, you can have a testamentary trust where, um, you know, if you have minor children and um, instead of those assets being you know frozen within a course and the course getting a guardian um, over those assets you can say hey just create a testamentary trust and put those assets into the trust as well too so that's but that's expensive as well too
1: okay uh, one of the so. thing you mentioned earlier you talked about debt so if you have for example student loan debt and you pass you do have asset and you had a trust your spouse do they still need to pay off your student loan or does it go away
2: okay so when it comes to your creditors and your well your debt um you're still like within the trust plan you're you still have to pay your debt like you can't get over that you still have to pay your debt because if you don't pay it and you try to avoid it then the trustee may be held liable you know because they they did not pay the debt that they were supposed to pay. So as a trustee, you have that um, fiduciary to, to abide by what the trust document says. Um, so if you have the trust document, it, it tells you like, hey, pay off my debts, pay off my expenses, you have to pay all of those off first, and then whatever is left over, that's what gets distributed. So I know a lot of times, um, some people to avoid that, that's why they um, prefer to leave the life insurance until um, somebody's uh, a person instead of, you know, um, like a trust like that because they want to avoid that. But then there's documents within a trust that says, hey, you know, this life insurance money is not part of my estate. It's not meant for it to pay the debt as well too. Okay. Um,
1: but yeah. Okay. Um, that pretty much answered my next question because I was going to ask <laughs> you what happened, you know, if I have a life insurance and I, I have a beneficiary for that life insurance and I pass, and but i did not mention anything about student loan will the will they get the entire um life insurance policy but you pretty much answered it
2: yeah so yeah they they wouldn't so if you have a life insurance and it's a, a person that's your beneficiary that money is to that person yeah it's, makes
1: sense. yeah 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 that's the way okay makes sense let's change the gear really quickly uh, let's talk about prenup do you really need a prenup
2: Oh, this is like a sketchy topic, you know, um, not a sketchy topic, but like an interesting <laughs> topic. <laughs> um, so when you talk about the prenup, okay, so the prenup is something that is essentially agreement between, you know, two people that's stating it's just like more of a contract before they get married. Okay. Okay. So... When you talk about the prenup, I always say if you're dating someone for a long time, you can't wait until like y'all setting the wedding date to say, okay, um, by the way, let's do this prenup. It's something that has to be in conversation, because if you're two people who had separate, you know, you have your separate lives and you had your separate careers prior to getting married, meaning that you were able to build a significant amount of wealth prior to getting married, essentially you will want a prenup, you know, some people be like, okay, if you want a prenup, that means you're saying the marriage is going to fail. No, it's not going to fail. That doesn't mean that it's just having an insurance, like a protection because you're coming into a marriage with a significant amount of assets and um, that you, you built, you know, like a a huge bank account with money in it. You have your home, you have businesses that you've built by yourself. And now, if you don't have a prenup, you get married and you're with this person, you know, you guys been married, um, you know, for, for a while and, um, it didn't work out, you know, not having that prenup, that person is going to be entitled to all of those assets that you had prior to marriage. And you're thinking like, Oh no, I came into it. Like he's never going to ask me for, for any of those things. Cause he know it's mine. I came into it. No, it doesn't work like that because once you get together, it's marital property. If you didn't distinguish What's going to be marital? What's not going to be marital property? Everything is marital property. And so that person will have some type of interest within that business um, that you came in with which is within that home that you bought. And if you guys are living with it, that's marital asset and they have interest within it as well too. Um so it's not something that's gonna be clean slate, like, okay, whatever we come into um, you know, within the marriage, we leave out without it. if there was if it was not written, that doesn't mean it's gonna go that way. However, if you do have a spouse that's just like, you know, Without it being written down, and they're not that type of person. Who's like, okay, I don't want any of your stuff. You know, that's a that's good. You know, you'll be lucky if you have that. But nowadays, people are like down each other's throat when they get divorced because they want what's theirs. You know, what their interest is. And so, I like to say, you know, it's just like a a, a protection, like an insurance, just to protect it. Um, so therefore, if the marriage does dissolve, you know you already have a stipulation that said, okay, well, you know, prior to we getting married, we had already said, you know, that this house that I bought prior to our marriage, you're not going to get um, any of it. Um, this business is mine. You're not going to be entitled to it. So you don't have to list that in the dissolution of the marriage. So for me, um, when I think of it, it's it's more of a couple. I would say you would have to talk to you know the person that you're dating about the prenup. For me personally. Me and didn't have a prenup when we got married. And I always talk about this because when we got married, we had nothing. Like I just graduated from law school. He was still in school. So I feel as though when we got married, we're building together. And I'm okay with, you know, what we're building together. If something happens and that we split, you know, we're going to split it equally. That's both of our mindset because we're building that together. We had nothing, you know, but if it was the other way around, then of course I, I would have gotten a prenup if I, you know, was already in my practice and I built a successful business then I, I would have gotten a prenup.
1: Now let's talk about <laughs> a post for the listeners that do not know what's a post
2: Okay, so the post-nup is an agreement that's after marriage. So let's just say, okay, we didn't get to have a, a prenup prior to getting married, but now you've been married for like, you know, a couple of years or months, you've been married and now you're like, okay, well, maybe we should talk about this post Let's get something in now. That's that's an agreement that happens after marriage and you can have a post up um, for there. So- whatever you guys talk about and and the prenuptial can be it it can include anything um in there that you want to include you know like hey you know if we buy a house together um and we put money down together you know then we both split the the house equally you know the funds from the um the sale of the home equally so you can put whatever language you want to put in there or you can say with the post nup um oh I'm opening up this bank account um even though we're married this bank account is mine I intended it to be mine and your husband your spouse signs off on it then if you do get divorced then they're not entitled to go after it because they already signed off saying that okay well i know that's not i'm not going to touch that account um so it's, it's an agreement that happens after marriage
1: for somebody to be completely protected another way would you say not only having an estate planning but if you want your you and your spouse to agree You could also do a postnup or a prenup so you could be completely protected.
2: Um, Yeah, you can be completely protected by having all of those put together because then you get to differentiate, you know, who's the assets, you know, of like, as far as like, if it's property or bank accounts, you all are already dictating who those bank accounts um, belong to if it's not going to be joint. So a lot of times when you think about it, like people in blended family, right? So you'll have, you know, a spouse in blended family, um, so maybe like a spouse had a child prior to um, getting married to to the new spouse, and you know they're together. Essentially, if that spouse, um, you know, they buy a house together, their home is 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 titled in the name together. And let's just say the spouse that had the outside child or a child prior to marriage, let's just say that spouse passed away first, and um, now the home goes to that the, the the current spouse. So now the current spouse owns the home, but you still have this child. Who, who's not, you know, the child of this current spouse is left out, you know, like they, they don't have any inheritance because the home automatically goes to, to, the, to that spouse. So there's a protection in there when you do your estate plan, where you can have, you know, once one spouse dies, you can divide everything equally, the deceased person has its trust, and then the survivor's trust has is um, the survivor's person has its trust. Whereas then that person who has that outside child can dictate, hey, if I pass away, I want to make sure specifically that my child that I had prior to marriage get a piece of this property before, um, you know, upon my passing. So that person is technically within, you know, got some type of inheritance instead of being, you know, left out unintentionally.
1: Now, what if the person, okay, John Smith marries... Jean-Marie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then but John Smith has a child that child is over 18 John Smith passed away um, based on your explanation Jamali um, she will inherit, inherit inherited the, that home. So my question is, can that child who's over 18 um, file a petition with the court to get some of those assets that John Smith left?
2: No. So if you have the home, if the home was not retitled into the trust and it was just a deed, then Jamali is going to get the home 100 percent because, you know, they were married. And upon the passing of one spouse, the other spouse, if it's titled with, you know, um, with right of survivorship um, to this body entirety, they they get 100% of the home. So he's not going to be able to petition that if he's over the age of 18. However, if the tr- the home was within the trust, they did their whole, their whole estate planning. When it comes to that, I know with, with my married uh, couples and they have blended families, I, al- I always tell them, to get a trust where everything splits in half. So if you have the home, everything splits in half. Meaning that if Jamali now has the um, is living in a house and she said, oh, okay, now I want to sell the home. She can go ahead and sell the home because don't forget the trust owns the home. She can sell it. Correct. The proceeds from that home, she's going to get half of it. It's going to go to her. The other half is going to go into um, Joseph um, deceased trust. It's going to go into his trust. And once it goes into his trust, if he dictated that, hey, specifically, I want money from that home to go to this child, then that's what his um, estate plan goes. So that's where the trustee comes into play to make sure it, it transfers the way that Joseph wanted it to be transferred. And so that child would be able to get, um, you know, a piece of uh, an interest of, of that home.
1: What if they had no ch- estate planning, they had nothing, no paperwork, nothing put together?
2: Oh, then that child doesn't get anything because it's going to go straight to the
1: to the, the wife. Because okay. because
2: of the way it's, it's deeded now. Yeah, because of the way it's deeded. Mm-hmm.
1: OK. Now, um, can a piece of paper, can the I guess, should I say the court accept a piece of paper as a will, for example, um a person about was about it's about to commit suicide and then they take a piece of paper and they write i want my car to go to john smith i want my house to go to joe blow can the court accept that and then boom the person commits suicide can the court accept that piece of paper as that person um, wish
2: well it depends because essentially if it's left like that no because when you have when you write down um a will because you can write your you can have a handwritten will I think it's called a holographic, I can't pronounce the word right now, a hologram or holographic will. But however, in Florida, your will has to be um, witnessed. You have to have two witnesses to it. So if he wrote a letter saying he wants this to go, this person, that, that person, and it was not witnessed, there's no two witness signatures on there, then it's invalid. It, it's it. not going to work at, at all. He's going to have to have two witnesses on there. And if, they, and if it was witnessed, they had two witnesses and he signed it, the two witnesses signed it then, you know, the court will be like, okay, we'll accept it. Um, However, we're going to need to speak with your witnesses to make sure that they actually, you know, did witness this. Because uh, another thing, too, in Florida it doesn't have to be notarized, but people in, we encourage that to be notarized because then it's self-proving, meaning that when you someone tries to contest it, um, you don't have to call in those witnesses to say, hey, yes, that is me that signed it because it was already self-proven by having it notarized
1: uh, with now, the two witnesses. Now, for somebody listening right now, they would like to hire you to do an estate planning or and everything else that you do. Um, typically, what is the cost when it comes to setting up an estate planning?
2: Um, typically, with the cost, it 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 all depends. Um, if you're looking for a a trust the trust starts off at three thousand for a trust and it can go up until up until like you know five six thousand it all depends on what type of asset protection that you're trying to um get within the the trust if you're looking for a will the will uh, typically like a, a thousand a person for the will because with those documents, it also comes with your ancillary documents, which is your healthcare surrogate, your power of attorney, your um, living will. So it comes with those documents um,
1: as well. Okay. All those documents, once a client signs and everything is good to go, where are they kept? Are they kept with? The attorney, you are they kept digitally on the cloud somewhere or with the client or with the court?
2: The original goals with the client. Um for me with my clients, I give them their binders. I I package my clients um documents. I give them a binder and I give them um a USB as well, too, just in case as backup. And then I to have a copy um for myself uh, and the reason why i give my buy my, my clients their original because if something was to happen and a family members um um let's just say i'm not existing anymore or my firm is not existing anymore they have their binders and they can go to any law office to to help them with administering um the trust so because they have their original documents so, like i'm not holding it you know kept it for myself but yeah they 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 have their documents and I also give them um, a USB. I know with my firm, I only do flat fee. And um, the only reason why I do flat fee, because um, I I just, for me, I just just doesn't feel comfortable charging my clients, you know, for every phone call, for every email, you know, when they want to ask me questions, because I feel like when it comes to estate planning, it's such a sensitive topic. It's such an important um, decision that you have to make. And I don't want my clients to feel rushed and, you know, Determining like okay should I call to ask this question but I don't want to pay you know money to ask the question yeah. you know like I do flat fee because I want my clients to be comfortable to speak with me because I like to listen to your family dynamic because I want to make sure what you're telling me is what we put into these documents to make sure that it's gonna flow the way you want it to flow and I know a lot of firms they do charge um, hourly for theirs um, but I'm more of a flat fee and. I, and I
1: like it that way. Perfect, perfect. Now we come to the uh, fun part. As you know, the show—the show is called "Are You Really Living." So with that being said, if you were a superhero, what would you want to be?
2: Oh, a superhero? Oh. Yeah. Like, is it like a superhero that's an existing?
1: No. Oh. You could make up your own superhero. Oh, okay. And what would you my, want to change?
2: My son, my son usually asks me this question, like, if I had super superhero powers, what it yeah. would be? I would say to teleport. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow uh (laughs) you just you you don't like traffic i'm assuming
2: yeah no no traffic and you know don't want to get on the planes don't want to drive in a car like i just like to teleport to be wherever i need to be in you know in a second of a time (laughs)
1: yeah if for the listeners right now listening if they want to contact you what is your website or phone number or best email for them to reach out
2: okay i knew you were going to ask me this question um so i am very bad with um, social media uh, when it comes to the the handler i guess is it's called but if you go on instagram it is attorney b philippe so that's like if you look up attorney b philippe facebook is the same thing so you can contact them contact me through there
1: okay to social media yes. okay not yes, a problem with my
2: social media
1: No, no yeah, problem. so it's
2: typically it's typically my name
1: okay um anything else you want to cover or you want to save it for the next time you stop by the podcast
2: yeah so for me um when it comes to estate planning especially because um, i'm haitian um, american and when it comes to people like in our community i just want us to have to shift that mindset a lot of the things is like having that mindset although we didn't grow up with our our, like my parents didn't have an estate plan, you know, when I was growing up, they, they probably didn't really know anything about that. Mm-hmm. But however, just being, um, being here, being born here and, 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 and being, you know, going to school here, and just listening out and, you know, with just your environment, you learn these things. And just having that mindset mindset to shift to know like okay well although your parents didn't have it that doesn't mean that oh I don't need it it's something that's just like oh it's just the document that you don't need because like it's it's pulling teeth to have your parents get these things done but like for us who were who were born here or Who's, um, like, of age, like, we shouldn't have an excuse with this social media, everybody's telling us how to pass down wealth. Like, that's, like, the most important thing for us is to pass down the wealth, even though, because when our parents came to the United States, a lot of time ownership was something big for them, like, owning that house is big for them, yes. and um, having that estate plan just to pass it down to your children, like, that's a big key. Like a lot of people think it's it's nothing, but it's really big because you're starting that generational wealth to pass it down. So for me, it's just having that mindset of getting these documents into place. You know, like when you think about um, estate planning, you're thinking about trust. Don't think about it as, oh, that's not for people like us. That's not for people like me. I don't need it. Like it's confusing. I don't understand it. Try to educate yourself. Contact me. I like to do my family wealth session and explain everything to you you know, regarding this trust, you know, um, or having a will having something in place. So for me, I would like to leave with, you know, the viewers listening, don't think of it as something just for rich people. No, it's not, you know, we have to start somewhere. Our parent, I always say your parents got you here by however they traveled illegally, legally, whatever they're here, you know, to give us a better life. Now we went to school, we're educated, we need to move it forward. What are we passing down to our children? Like we we have to pass something down to them as well, too. And estate planning is that one tool that everybody just forget about when you're talking about generational wealth and passing wealth down. You can't do it without an estate plan. Point blank.
1: Point blank, period. With that being said, thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by. It was a great conversation and I look forward to speaking with you very soon. And uh, thank you again.
2: Thank you for having me here.
0: Thank you for listening to the Are You Really Living podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. And most importantly, keep living your best life. Please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.